circularity needs to have a local base so that you can ship it back and remake it out. And circularity also needs to start at that design phase. So you need to make sure that you're designing products and you're designing manufacturing processes that then can empower circularity. So it's not highway to landfill. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Sustainability is a word that's used pretty loosely these days. Most business leaders would tell you sustainability matters, but how many of them truly run their businesses with sustainable practices as a central focus? My guest today is a CEO who does. She's here to tell you what exactly sustainability means in a manufacturing organization's operations, from sourcing materials, to designing and manufacturing a product, to building a team. Let me introduce her. Sarah Irvani is the CEO of Okabashi Brands, one of the remaining 1% of domestic shoe manufacturers. Established in 1984, and now a third generation family business, Okabashi has sold over 35 million pairs from its Buford, Georgia factory. With its closed-loop manufacturing and recyclable, recyclable bio-based footwear, the team is on a mission to prove that sustainable American manufacturing can flourish at scale. Sarah has a bachelor's in philosophy with high distinction from the University of Virginia, a master's of finance from the University of Cambridge, and an MBA from INSEAD. Sarah is an associate board member of the 210 Foundation, a 2018 Most Admired CEO by the Atlanta Business Chronicle, a board member of Souls for Souls, a global shaper of the World Economic Forum, and on the board of counselors of the Carter Center. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, you certainly are busy with being involved in so many things. I applaud you for it. Sometimes I feel like between taking care of my family and just doing my daily job, I already have more on my plate than I can handle. So yeah, I applaud you. <laughs> Never a dull day, as they say. I imagine. Well, very good. Well, Sarah, it's good to have you here. I'd love to, you know, I appreciated your bio, but I'd, I'd really love to hear or let our audience hear, because I've kind of heard bits and pieces of it, but kind of your family's story, which I know starts across seas all the way back in the 70s, I think, if I heard correctly from you with your grandfather. And so I think it'd be really great to just kind of hear the origin story and how you and your family wound up where you are today with Okabashi. My pleasure. So my grandfather was the largest footwear manufacturer in the Middle East in the 1970s. He had about 60 factories, was totally vertically integrated, and also had retail outlets as well. And my grandfather was a different type of business leader. And um, 
for instance, there was a 1970, I believe, three front page article on the Wall Street Journal saying, who is this businessman who pays women as much as men? So gender parity, for example, was extremely important to him and getting involved in the community in so many different ways. Then in the late 1970s, the Iranian revolution happened. And as is the case with many revolutions throughout time and around the world, the operation was nationalized. And so my grandfather had to leave Iran and restart. And so he had to figure out what he wanted to do and where to do it. And he loved making shoes and so decided to start. And the U.S. market at the time, he really saw the possibility of bringing in high quality house slippers and bringing in a lot of Japanese wellness technology to the American market. And so that's also where we get our name Okabashi from and started with injection molding footwear here. So he came to Buford in 1981, the company was started officially in 1984. And so from that, from that day, we've been making shoes here. Now, Buford itself actually was started in the late 1800s. And there was a saddle factory. And it was arguably the best saddle factory in the US. Of course, it's a time when horses were used a lot more than they are today. And from the scraps of those saddles, they started a shoe company called the Bona Allen Shoe Company in Buford. And the company grew and had a local baseball team called the Shoemakers. Then in 1981, I believe, that company was shut down because of the changing economy and sort of many different factors. And and at that sort of same time, my grandfather was just coming and starting. So there's been a tradition of shoemaking here in the area for well over 100 years. So it's always nice to sort of zoom out and contextualize how we got here. And then my father, shortly after starting the business, my father took it over. And six years ago, my, my father was looking to retire and... I really believe in U.S. manufacturing and, and sustainability. And so perhaps naively jumped in and have been here since. So that's a little bit more about how we ended up in Buford making shoes. Well, thanks for sharing. And I know, let's go a little deeper on that whole made in the USA thing. I've, I've done even, I think, a couple entire episodes where the topic was, you know, what does that really mean? And how do you define that? It sounds like a simple thing, but I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, first of all, why is made in America or made in the USA a meaningful statement to you and, and kind of just get into that and what, what it means to your business? Well, I think that you can look at it on sort of a large, a national basis in terms of it's important for us to, to have know how and have strong industries on a community basis is really how I tend to focus on it. So made in America is not just about making good, high quality products. It's also about making jobs and beyond jobs about making careers and opportunities for advancement. And it's so real. And the way that we do it 
is in a fundamentally sustainable way. Whether you think about the proximity of American manufacturers to their market, the reduction of carbon footprint, whether you think about it in terms of the conditions in which things are made in fair and with fair and sustainable wages with a sense of responsibility. I think that also impacts on the people side. On the supply chain side, for many years, been talking about the agility replenishment programs, just yeah, ability to be more responsive to our customers and to the market. And that really shone through in COVID. Rather than having goods waiting on a boat halfway around the world for four months, we were able to make and respond and ship and live out that promise. So there, there's so many different things that it can mean. And one of the things elements that I'm most passionate about is circularity and being able to give an end of life option for, for goods. It's, it's critical to have domestic and regional manufacturing in order to enable and to empower circularity. So made in USA means so many different things and so much to celebrate. Tell me a little more about what you just said there. Define circularity for me, and especially as it relates to end of life for a product. Sure. When you think about a product, you've got maybe three different stages. You've got how it's made, what it's made from all of those sort of manufacturing elements. Then you've got the actual um, enjoyment of the product. How long are you using it? Where are you using it? What is what is the context for that use case? And then at the end of a product life, whether it's a, a piece of clothing and you have a, a blue shoe and you want a black shoe, whether you have a t-shirt and for whatever reason you don't want to wear it, you've got to think, okay, well, where does it go? And that that that's that end of life. And so in our case with traditional flip-flops, they'll go straight to oceans or straight to landfills. So that's the, that's the only option because that there's no connection between the end and beginning life. It's just one straight line and that straight line ends up being the planet. And so that's where there's such an importance of circularity when you think about sustainability. And one needs to, when you're just thinking about creating and producing products, circularity needs to have a local base so that you can ship it back and remake it out. And circularity also needs to start at that design phase. So you need to make sure that you're designing products and you're designing manufacturing processes that then can empower circularity. So it's not highway to landfill. Sarah, your bio reads that your team is on a mission to prove that sustainable American manufacturing can flourish at scale. And meanwhile, I think a lot of companies view sustainability initiatives or becoming more green as a cost center. And I'd love to hear your perspective on it and kind of how do you connect the dots between sustainability and profitability? Uh, sustainability for me implies that there is less waste. You know, whatever you're wasting a lot of isn't a sustainable way of doing it. If you think about manufacturing and sort of lean principles about reducing race, so much of those lean principles dovetail with principles of sustainability. So when we think about using 
in our manufacturing processes, we use recyclable materials. So we are able to recycle all of the scrap shoes, all of the runners, regrind them into small pieces, and then make them into new shoes at maximum about 40% recycled content and on average around 20%, depending on the colorway. Um, so in doing that, that is a more sustainable process. It's also a process that reduces waste and is financially better for the company. And so in many different ways and fields of sustainability, both on the environmental and on the social side, sustainable practices make an organization stronger. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keo. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value. No cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Sarah, when you and I were talking a few weeks back to prepare for this conversation, you told me that you see sustainability as not just an environmental initiative, but also a social initiative. I'm just wondering if you could tell us what you mean by that. Sure. I, I think that there are many facets of the people side of manufacturing that are being explored further, whether you look at the career creation, job creation, also whether you look at initiatives around diversity, equity, and belonging. There's so many elements of how you treat people within your ecosystem. And this could be direct employees, this could be community members who share resources with the company. So many different aspects that then make the operation um, one that can really continue to go on as it is and continue to thrive and to flourish as it has before. If you take the counter example, you know, of an organization that doesn't treat its people well, that doesn't, that is very sort of transactional in its behaviors, that's not one that will be able to continue 
its way of doing business. Eventually, it will burn out everyone or, you know, not work in a way that suppliers will want to work with them. And so I think that social side of sustainability is also very important and follows that same principle where it's good it's good for bus- the business as well as for the community and for the people. I like your perspective on that. Thank you. It's it's I think it's a lot more fun to try and run a, a good business than than one that's trying to cut all the corners. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's sometimes the the short term you know, cost savings of cutting those corners may be appealing, but when you're looking at things big picture, yeah, you, you got to be looking at how do you keep people here? How do you make this a great place to be? How do you, you know, give people the right jobs and help empower them? So I'm, I'm a big advocate. Yeah. And I think that, that you know, the U.S. also has so many um, family owned and operated companies. And I think that that is part of the advantage of the long-term view that family companies tend to have. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about things in terms of generations, not in terms of quarters. And so we're able to take decisions that reflect that. Sarah, what has you most excited about the future of American manufacturing? I would say just the enthusiasm on the consumer side for it the appreciation of what made in America means from a quality, from a community, from an environmental perspective. At the end of the day, if you produce goods in any category, you need customers who want them, who understand them, who appreciate them. And across the board, we've seen significant increases in the appreciation of of made in USA. And there's so many different ways that one can sort of brand and storytell around it that match up to the different aspects of what Made in USA mean that we discussed earlier. Um, But in any way that you tell it, I'm finding more and more of an audience that it resonates with. And so I think that will drive an increase in manufacturing in this country. Well said. Is there anything I didn't ask you about today, Sarah, that you'd like to add to this conversation? I think that going back to that last question on the customer side, I think it's interesting to think, well, who, what can you do to sort of understand the landscape better to make an impact as well? And for there, you know, I would look deeply into different brands, different brand stories. The or I think the origin of a brand really helps set the direction of where it goes and dive deeply into sustainability strategies, understand who is greenwashing, who is, you know, if they really are trading on the American brand, so to say, who is actually supporting American industry and to to be loyal to to those companies. And their number that that I have found and really like and and I support as as a customer and vote with your dollars as it were. Well, Sarah, great conversation today. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Okabashi? Thank you very much. You can get in touch with us through our website, through Facebook, through Instagram. We have all of our customer service team here as well and all under one roof. So looking forward to hearing from you. Fantastic. Well, thanks for doing this today, Sarah. Thank you.
As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.